Welcome back to season three, episode four of Money Talks 50 Plus. My name is Rebecca Pearl. I am your host and program specialist for AARP Elderwatch, a 20-year partnership with the Colorado Attorney General's Office, working to provide older adults in Colorado with fraud prevention support and financial security support. We have a volunteer staffed fraud victim support helpline that you can reach at 800-222-4444, option number two, if you or someone you know is a victim of a fraud or scam or has questions about the legitimacy of something or questions about financial security. Please feel free to give us a call. And we have traveled a long way on this journey so far. We started before the gold rush in Colorado, and today we are going to dive into World War II, which was a pivotal time for women and for financial empowerment specifically. Because women were leaving their homes at a fairly young age and going out and kind of being more independent than they could be previous to this time. Um, And World War II kind of made it the norm that if you were a woman of a certain age, you, and, you know, dedicated to the cause, didn't have kids, didn't have a family, um, you would be a part of the war effort and support the war effort in whatever way made the most sense. We have the beginning of the war starting in Europe in 1939, and of course the United States doesn't get involved until Pearl Harbor is bombed in 1942. Um, And then at that point, we see, you know, hundreds of thousands of men being drafted and deployed across the literal world on the western front on the eastern front in in all different places and it leaves these huge gaps in the economy and workplaces so we start to see women filling the rules much like what happened in world war one um except perhaps a bit more accepted than in World War One, We see the resurgence of the Women's Land Army, which we talked about uh, in our episode about World War One as well. We also see the resurgence of Victory Gardens. And this, this effort is largely driven by dedicated women in individual communities trying to establish gardens to feed their local community and um, those abroad, much like what happened in World War One. The One of the main differences between World War One and World War Two is that World War Two women were allowed to volunteer to be a part of the military. And there were a few different programs. There was the Navy women accepted for voluntary emergency service, which is known most generally um, as waves. Their Coast Guard counterparts, the SPARS, and then the Women's Army Corps, WAC, provided this critical support, right? Um, These of not allowing women to do manual labor were very much so over, even though it was the preference of this very much so male hierarchy that has been established and continues to control the military. While some women were assigned tasks like 
building and painting various warships. Others were put to work assembling various weapons. And even more were put to work teaching men how to be fighter pilots. Mm -hmm. You heard that right. Teaching men how to be fighter pilots. This WAVES program started and the men just assumed that women would be secretaries, maybe have a bit of a role in some other basic household tasks, quote unquote. But what happened is you have women coming from all different backgrounds of life but most of them with teaching experience because teaching is generally seen as women's work. And so all these women were really great teachers and the military needed extra trainers. And in a shortage, these women started training men on how to fly fighter jets. And soon the men that were in the training um, realized that the women were much more effective at teaching them how to fight adequately. Um, So men would start to just beg to be taught by the woman as opposed to uh, the actual male trainers in the military. Um, Women also got into weather forecasting and helped repair planes. Um, They also served as gunner's mates, so that is teaching seamen how to shoot moving targets from moving vehicles. There was so much within the instruction of how to fight properly in a war that women were essential in doing um, that is just very much so overlooked. A lot of the women um, that volunteered for WAVES and other programs went to teacher colleges. They had taught a little bit already, so they had experience and they were good at teaching. But this did not mean life was sweet and easy for women in the military. And we're talking so much about this because so many of the great women that made it made the war effort successful in the United States actually came from Colorado. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some of their stories later. But this was the first time that women were allowed in the military, World War II. And so things were not peachy. Um, Women faced lots and lots of prejudice because men would just resent their presence. Um, Women entering the military was initially pitched as freeing men to fight overseas. But there was more of a perception that women were taking men's jobs. Um, And while Rosie the Riveter, who has ties to Colorado as well, is seen as this huge symbol of women's strength and resilience and also ability to work, on the other hand, this same symbol is seen by men as just insulting And this made it so there were lots of rumors circling around society that the only women who joined the military were prostitutes or lesbians. But after a year or two, women proved that they were able to do any job without any immoral conduct. And lots of 
women were motivated to, of course, serve the country in its time of need. But this was a avenue for a steady job and more education. Yes, the GI Bill did not pass until 1944, but getting into the military, getting into these institutions, um, lots of women viewed it as a chance to continue to further their education as well. Once the GI Bill did pass, many women were able to take advantage of it and further their education. A hundred thousand women in the United States volunteered for the war effort in World War II. So Colorado with it's fairly rich military history, multiple army bases around the state, also Air Force Base, Training Center, etc. Thousands of women from Colorado also joined the war effort. Some, of course, enlisted in the military, like we discussed earlier. Others worked in defense plants and volunteering. Volunteerism also was a huge, huge part of the World War II effort. Of course, women have also served as nurses for as long as time can remember. And so women joined the military to be a part of uh, various nursing programs as well. And one of those women was named Loretta Ford. She enlisted in the Air Forces in 1942, hoping to enter flight nurse training. But instead, she served in hospital stateside. And after the war, she took advantage of the newly passed GI Bill to further her education in nursing. In 1965, she actually co-founded the Pediatric Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Colorado. And this turns out to be the very first nurse practitioner program in the United States. Today, nurse practitioners are a huge part of our medical landscape, oftentimes providing care similar to the standard a doctor would provide. They're able to prescribe medication and they are an essential part of um, what makes, especially with COVID, our medical community run. And Catherine enlisted in the Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service, the WAVES program, which as a side note, was the Women's Reserve of the U.S. Navy. So if you're trying to figure out within the military hierarchy where this would be, that's where it is. She joined in 1942 uh, to volunteer for the war effort. And during her 30-year career, 3-0, she served in the Korean War and the Vietnam conflict as well. She was the first woman in the Navy to rise from seaman recruit to captain, which is the highest rank in the Medical Service Corps, and that's where she served. Was only the second female pharmacy officer, the very first woman psychiatrist to attain the rank of captain, and the first woman in the Medical Service Corps to go to sea, and lastly, the first woman officer to replace a male officer at sea. So Catherine did a ton to progress all the women forward in the military, serving in various different roles and trailblazing multiple um, parts of those roles. About Fanny Mae Duncan in the past, I believe. But during World War II, she ran the Haven Club, which was a soda fountain for black soldiers stationed at Fort Carson. Um, so this was a 
huge part of making sure that soldiers, while they were off, were entertained. And um, she also operated a USO concession stand in Colorado Springs. So she really was entrepreneurial in making sure to cater to the needs of soldiers and other folks serving in the military. After the war, though, she founded the very first integrated jazz club in Colorado Springs called the Cotton Club and um, was able to run that for a very long time. So while, you know, she wasn't part of the military directly, she was providing a very important service to military members, um, whether that be food, whether that be entertainment, or both. Oletta Crane was one of three black women to enter officer training in the U.S. military in 1943. She originally served in the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, but then she retired from the Air Force as a major. She was the only black woman retained by the U.S. military after World War II. The only black woman retained after World War II by the U.S. military. We can see Crane's importance to everyone that came after her within the military and without. This is truly the example, an example of women breaking glass ceilings wherever they could. Um, after she served in the Air Force and retired as a major, she ended up working as a regional administrator for the newly established Women's Bureau of the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, again, just an absolute trailblazer and um, continuing to be an advocate for um, women and women of color specifically um, within her roles outside of the military as well. Serve as multiple examples of women that were able to further their education um, either with help from the GI Bill or without help from the GI Bill. And um, not only were they able to further their education, they were also to, able to do things they were interested in and make strides in those places as well. And one of these examples is J. Virginia Lincoln. She pursued a career in, wait for it, solar terrestrial physics. And this started with her career at the U.S. National Bureau of Standards, where she worked as a physicist in the inter-service radio propaganda laboratory, doing ionospheric research. And in 1954, the Central Radio Propagation Laboratory was moved to Boulder, Colorado, and Lincoln ended up as a radio weather forecaster. So she would prepare these monthly ionospheric prediction contour maps, which were used in selecting frequency for long-distance radio communication. In 1949, Lincoln also helped to create a statistical method for predicting sunspot activity. This method is still used today and is one of the most effective methods in uh, predicting said sunspot activity. She also was one of the only woman uh, among 50 male scientists to attend the 1958 meeting of the International Geophysical Year in Moscow. There were several, several women in the Russian delegation, and Lincoln took note of this difference. 
1959, she made strides again when she became the deputy chief of the radio warning services of the Central Radio Propagation Laboratory. That is the place where they come up with new innovative technologies for predicting radio wave frequencies. Lincoln was also the first woman to head a section in a federal bureau. Her area of expertise was pretty niche, if you ask me. It was forecasting solar phenomena that affected the technology of radio communications, which sounds very important, but I could not begin to tell you the first thing about it. Lincoln was a champion for women as she worked her ranks through government and also through this very brutal cutthroat male-dominated science field. Lincoln retired in 1980 and she passed away in 2003. Whether it was serving in waves, whack, another section of the military, or volunteering at home, women were super duper duper important to the United States war effort in World War II. And this really served as a jumping point for women to start really successful careers in teaching and research and in journalism and even more. Next week, we are going to do a deep dive into post-World War II, where we see taking advantage of the newly passed GI Bill, um, families starting to move from cities to suburbs, really the foundations of what society is today sort of taking shape in this era, and there are major gains for women that are able to happen from this World War II war effort that are part of the reason we are where we are today with women's equity. While we still have a long way to go for pay equity and financial equity, this was the true beginning of, you know, the, our system that we have today. And understanding its roots, understanding its roots in male hierarchy and in necessity is really important for understanding how to make change in the future and how to continue pushing for women to be seen as equals in finances. I will see you next week. Until then, stay scam safe.